Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Compliance Beat. I'm Eric Moorhead. I appreciate you joining us back. I know we have been remiss in posting our episodes so far here in 2020. We've been busy here uh, at the Compliance Beat uh, HQ. Um, I hope to get on a more even and regular cadence, as they say, as we go forward. And I apologize, but um, uh, do keep uh, your ear here because I we are not stopping anytime soon. Uh, and we will continue to post uh, uh, podcasts in the future. Um, also, we have some other interesting announcements that I think we're going to make here in the next couple of weeks around some webinars that are coming up. Um, uh, there's going to be a live training uh, that's going to be occurring in Chicago. So for those of you who listen in the Chicagoland area, I will keep you posted on that uh, in an upcoming podcast. I'll give you some more details around that. There's going to be actually a multi-day uh, compliance program seminar that I'm going to be participating in that I'll give you more details around. So some interesting upcoming things, uh, uh, as I said, webinars uh, and some live events, and I'll get those details in the coming weeks. Uh, we are now well into 2020, and I am uh, excited uh, about uh, a lot of the things that I see going on. Uh, this was the first year in a couple of years where we didn't do sort of a year-end wrap-up or uh, a looking forward uh, podcast. Maybe I'll still do that, although... Uh, like sending out your Christmas cards. It's getting a little late uh, now that we're almost into February uh, for me to do that uh, kind of year-end uh, wrap-up or, or beginning year uh, look forward. Uh, but one of the things that is uh, real clear um, and continues to be clear is that there are still a lot of misunderstandings about some really basic uh, concepts around the uh, expectations or requirements or best practices around uh, compliance programs that I still run into on a regular basis. And one of those areas where uh, I think there's still some uh, misunderstanding or can be misunderstanding is around uh, anonymous reporting mechanisms. And so today I wanted to talk about three myths, three myths that surround anonymous reporting mechanisms. The first myth, and uh, this is a commonly misunderstood kind of key point, the first myth is that you have to have an anonymous reporting hotline. Well, uh, as we talked about before with regards to the sentencing guidelines, the sentencing guidelines only apply in the situation where your organization is being sentenced in front of a federal judge. We talked about this many times before when we've kind of parsed through and discussed different parts of the sentencing guidelines, the uh, uh, nuance that the guidelines are just that uh, for most organizations, guidelines, uh, some parameters, uh, the hallmarks of the sentencing guidelines are uh, uh, best practices, and, and, but the enforcement of those standards uh, really only come into play when an organization is actually being sentenced. All that being said, the more important thing is that the word hotline is not mentioned anywhere in the sentencing guidelines. Although when we talk about an anonymous reporting system, we're almost always conflating that with a hotline. 
Now, I'm not saying that hotlines aren't important and hotlines are not valuable tools, and we'll talk more about that as this uh, podcast rolls along. Uh, but I think that we need to, since the title of this podcast is Three Myths About Anonymous Reporting Systems, we need to talk about the fact that uh, there's the, the guidance within the sentencing guidelines is not talking specifically about any kind of system. Uh, where you can find the actual language that discusses anonymous reporting mechanisms is under Section 8B 2.1B 5 sub C. And the language there is that an organization shall take reasonable steps to have and publicize a system which may or may include may which may include mechanisms that allow for anonymity or confidentiality whereby the organization's employees and agents may report or seek guidance regarding potential or actual criminal conduct without fear of retaliation. So there's a there's a couple of things to unpack here. First of all is the word may. Uh, it says that an organization shall take reasonable steps to have and publicize a system that may include mechanisms that allow for anonymity. And it doesn't say hotline again anywhere in there. Uh, there are potentially other mechanisms that you could have that would allow for anonymity, particularly these days where most uh, organizations, or at least many organizations, maybe not most, many organizations have a population who have access to the web in one form or another. Usually uh, they have access to the web right in their pocket, uh, at least here in North America and many other parts of the world. And uh, it's possible to have an anonymous reporting system uh, that doesn't have uh, a telephone uh, requirement or telephone option at all. Uh, I think many organizations now, particularly if they subscribe to a uh, hot, uh, anonymous reporting tool, if they have a, a third party that provides their anonymous reporting system or tool, uh, has not only the, the uh, uh, hotline, the number that somebody can call, or the many numbers that people can call depending on their location, but also has some sort of online anonymous portal uh, going along with it. But it's important to note, if you're, especially if you're a small organization, uh, these uh, tools, uh, third-party tools to have an anonymous hotline with a 24-hour answering service can be uh, expensive and can perhaps be out of reach for particularly smaller organizations. Um, and there's, if you're just looking strictly at the discussion of what uh, the expectations are in the sentencing guidelines, it doesn't talk about hotlines. I think that's an important thing that's been lost uh, throughout uh, the last uh, dozen or, or, or 20 years as these systems have grown up. And it's been taken as read that that means uh, a 800 line that uh, people can call. Now, you can make the argument that while it's not in the sentencing guidelines, it has become a best practice. But just because something is universal doesn't necessarily mean it's a best practice. I think in this case, that's a good argument. Uh, and and uh, I think if you are benchmarking your organization against peer organizations, and most of your peer organizations have 800 numbers that uh, employees can call, it probably does make sense for you. But it's not universal, and it's not a fundamental requirement. The reason I mention this myth in particular is I've run into several small organizations who have uh, little or no budget, 
usually closer to no budget than little budget. Um, and they're very concerned about how they're going to spend their limited budget and very concerned about how they're going to afford a anonymous reporting hotline along with all the other things they need to do. And I think my point here is uh, for those organizations, particularly those small organizations and organizations uh, that uh, have perhaps other priorities, that may not be the best risk-based approach for you to spend your limited resources. It might be better to train. It might be better to have uh, an anonymous reporting mechanism that isn't a 1-800 number or isn't operated by a third party. Um, you know, I know some organizations have set up uh, special uh, phones, uh, phone answering systems or, and um, uh, online uh, systems uh, where they've, spe they've very specifically uh, made those um, uh, numbers uh, anonymous. In other words, if somebody calls that number, it doesn't record uh, the caller ID. Uh, it doesn't uh, provide any kind of uh, demographic or identifying information. There are ways to do things like that with, with technology. It don't necessarily mean that you need to have a 24-hour answering service. It's just something you need to be aware of, particularly if you're not a larger organization and you um, are concerned about this particular aspect and you've heard, oh, I must get a hotline. Get hotline doesn't appear in the language of the sentencing guidelines. You might say, well, that's fine. Uh, the sentencing guidelines don't specifically talk about hotlines, but you know, we have all these expectations uh, from the Department of Justice and other um, regulators and stakeholders out there. Well, uh, the Department of Justice, as you know, has come out uh, periodically with guidance, the most recent guidance in April of 2019. And that guidance does talk about anonymous reporting mechanisms, but again, does not use the term hotline talks about, uh, and as you may remember, this memoranda is um, uh, formatted in the series of queries. Uh, uh, and when it talks about the anonymous reporting mechanism, it says, does the company have such a mechanism? And if not, why not? So you need to have an explanation if you don't. How is the reporting mechanism publicized to the company's employees? So, you know, both in the sentencing guidelines and in the guidance from the Department of Justice, uh, publicizing Whatever it is, whatever your reporting mechanism is, is more important than what it, whether it's a hotline or not. Uh, has it been used? Has the company ass assessed the seriousness of the allegations it received? Has the compliance function had full access to the reporting investigative information? Uh, I think these queries are the important queries. They're the queries that the Department of Justice is uh, focused on, and they're more to do with the functionality of your reporting system and not whether it's a hotline with a 1-800 number or not. So uh, the first myth, I think, is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, you need to have a system that makes sense. Uh, perhaps that system is a 1-800 number and other aspects, but perhaps it's not, depending on your organization. I think as long as you have a system that you're comfortable with, that's public, well publicized, if it's being used, uh, and the, that you're getting aggregate information, that you have full access to all the reporting information. We'll talk more about that in a minute uh, with one of the other myths. Um, the second myth uh, that uh, uh, I wanted to talk about today is uh, because we have low numbers on our hotline, that means uh, that uh, things are going well. <laughs> well, I think this is a pretty obvious one, that that doesn't nece nece not necessarily mean anything at all 
uh, regarding the um, actual culture of your organization, the state of your culture, the, the, the amount of misconduct that may or may not be going on. It doesn't really give you a window into that necessarily. Um, the, uh, this dovetails, I think, with what I was just talking about a minute ago with regards to uh, has the compliance function had full access and uh, is the uh, mechanism um, been uh, uh, publicized to the stakeholders uh, for which it is designed. Uh, so if people don't know about your uh, anonymous reporting mechanism or the reporting channels that they can report up to, then uh, perhaps you do have a small number of reports because people don't know about it. So you're failing, uh, your, your, your system doesn't reflect uh, the actual amount of misconduct or uh, doesn't reflect the uh, ethical culture that's out there in your organization uh, because it doesn't um, uh, because people don't know about it and people aren't utilizing it. The second piece here, which and, and this is something that uh, has not been reflected historically in uh, guidance from the Department of Justice, uh, guidance in the Department of Justice for the most part uh, kind of just piggybacks right on what the sentencing guidelines have said for years and years about the necessity or uh, the, the type of anonymous uh, reporting that ought to be available and, and the fact that it ought to be publicized. There hasn't been much thought by regulators about uh, whether this, is, how this fits into broader reporting. Um, it's interesting though that the Department of Justice in the April uh, 2019 memo, uh, the last query is, has the compliance function had full access to reporting and investigative information? In other words, are you getting aggregate information across all reporting in your organization? That's a much more important inquiry. And it is a more important inquiry for this reason. If you go back and look at any survey by um, ECI, or the, the, the Global Business Ethics Survey, or what used to be the National Business Ethics Survey, or any other surveys that ask the question, to a population, what is your preference for reporting misconduct? Uh, the hotline, helpline, anonymous reporting mechanism is always, always, always fourth, fifth, sixth preferable way uh, to report. It's always in low double digits or single digits in those surveys. Let me repeat that. It's always 10%, give or take. Uh, of uh, uh, as, as far as being the preferred method uh, for people to report. What's the preferred method for people to report? To their manager. Close second usually is HR. Uh, after that is other management. People want to report to other people. People want to ask questions of other people generally. Uh, anonymous reporting usually is not the first line of preference for people, for most people, with regards to reporting. So you have to keep that in mind too when you're looking at numbers. So when you see low numbers on your uh, hotline or helpline, that's only telling you part of the story, very literally, because we know when you survey the broader population of uh, employees and individuals out there, or if you ask the same question internally in your organization, you're going to find that is not the preferred method for reporting. The preferred method is face-to-face -face with their manager, face-to-face -face with an HR uh, uh, professional or generalist that they know probably, or that they're comfortable with, or face-to-face -face with other 
management or supervisors in the organization. That is always the preference. That's backed up by data. That's not a guessing game. So uh, when you look at those numbers in your hotline, even if it's a well-publicized hotline, even if you have been doing communication on reporting and speaking up and, and really ringing the bells loudly about your anonymous reporting mechanism, it doesn't necessarily mean that those numbers, uh, the, 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 the number of reports, the, the, the spikes or drops in reports, uh, are going to tell you much about the overall uh, amount of misconduct that's going on or being observed. Now, what it can tell you is it can tell you trend information. Um, the other important takeaway here is that you really can't compare your number of reports that you get to other organizations because it really varies a lot. Even if demographically another organization is similar to yours, uh, do they report? Do they um, uh, uh, communicate about their hotline more frequently than you, than you do? Traditionally, have people uh, 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 reported uh, things on a hotline? Has the hotline been around in that organization longer than yours? There's so many variables that I think could potentially influence uh, the, uh, the the frequency of reporting on a, on an anonymous uh, reporting hotline. That I, I don't know how helpful it is to compare. Uh, how many reports, the frequency of reports that you're getting to another organization. Is it valuable to look at um, the trends within the reporting in your own organization on your anonymous reporting hotline? Of course it is, because that's going to tell you, for example, if in Q4 you spent a lot of time talking about speaking up and reporting and you saw a spike, that's a good indicator that those messages have gotten through. So it can be a a valuable data tool to um, get a sense of uh, uh, um, trending in your organization around reporting. I don't know how helpful it is to report uh, or to compare your report levels to other organizations. Um, I'm willing to uh, hear others' opinions on that. Uh, I know that um, some of these uh, reporting line services offer those kind of metrics as a sort of additional add-on or or benchmarking tool for organizations. I just don't know what it tells you. I think there's just too many variables there. And then the third uh, uh, myth around anonymous reporting mechanisms uh, that um, I want to talk about is, is is related to the second one, and is that and that's that uh, the reports uh, that come in on your anonymous reporting hotline and that are entered into that system um, and reported up to the board of directors uh, are a good gauge of what's going on in your organization. Well, you already know from what I just said that the expectation is, is the majority of reports are being made elsewhere. The majority of reports are being made to HR or to management, um, maybe directly to legal or other uh, corporate functions. Uh, you should see the majority of reports, the majority of reports coming in through another mechanism. If what you're getting, if what you're getting aggregate information about from HR and other functions and what you're seeing come up through the chain of command directly to you and the compliance function is significantly smaller than the reports you're getting on the anonymous reporting hotline, I think that that is not a good sign. I think that that is something that you can act that that actually is helpful uh, with regard to metrics on your hotline if those if that ratio is off and you have a higher number or even a, uh, a comparable number 
of reports uh, coming in anonymously versus coming up the chain of command. Uh, it shouldn't be that way. It should be the opposite. You should see a majority of reports coming in through open door reporting uh, or through HR or, or other mechanisms. So, um, uh, you know, the, the myth here is that that information that you get, those, those phone calls, uh, the breakdown of the types of calls and the frequency uh, and uh, how those calls are handled and, and uh, investigated and disciplined um, being the total story of misconduct uh, uh, related to your, your organization, I think is a myth. That's just, that can't, that can't be accurate. Um, we just know, we just know from uh, uh, survey work and, and, and data that's been collected for many years now uh, that the preference, the preference is not to report on these anonymous reporting systems. And if that's the case, you're just not collecting everything if you're not collecting other information, if you're not getting at least aggregate data from uh, HR and, and other parts of the organization where reporting happens, maybe safety or, or other parts of the organization that are collecting this information. Uh, if you're not getting that, uh, then you're not going to be able to see trends. Uh, you're not going to have a full picture of uh, observed misconduct or concerns uh, throughout the organization. Um, now, I would say here at the end, uh, just because there are some myths around anonymous reporting mechanisms, I don't want to make it seem like I don't think they're important. Uh, I do believe they're a requirement. I do believe organizations should have an anonymous reporting mechanism, and I recommend uh, to organizations frequently that they have, uh, that they adopt some sort of anonymous reporting mechanism. Uh, it's just not the end of the story when you're talking about reporting. It's not. It's the, only the beginning, and that's the important takeaway here, um, that uh, anonymous reporting mechanism is an important tool in the reporting uh, toolbox for an organization, but it's not the only tool. So I hope you found this helpful. Um, uh, as always, if you've got questions, uh, if you have some suggestions, if you would like to get in touch with us for any reason, you can reach us at uh, compliancebeat.com moreheadconsulting.com, or you can email me directly anytime at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. I do like to hear from listeners, and I do appreciate you uh, listening to this podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Morehead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moreheadconsulting.com.